Welcome to the 180 Ministry Podcast. Please check us out at the1-80.org. I invite you to go with me to the book of Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. As we start today, I would like to give an example of something that I have been realizing in my own life as an object lesson, especially in light of what we're going to be talking about. In your experience with bicycles, as you grew up and you first learned how to ride a bicycle, many of us, we first started off, I knew at least in my experience, we first started off with a bicycle with two wheels on the side. So we basically had four wheels to help us. And as time went along, we learned to do without the two wheels on the side and only relied or depended upon the two wheels of the bike. And so those two wheels were called training wheels, those two extra wheels. And then as we got used to it, we went to two wheels. And we focused, we trained until we were able to do it as though it was nothing. Now, friends, beyond that, I remember uh, the first time I, I saw someone go beyond the level of just depending on two wheels. And they came to a point of just depending on one. We call that today a unicycle. And so as I saw that, I, I remember just the other day I was traveling, going down to Silver Spring, Maryland. And as I was going there, I uh, got in the heart of the city of downtown Silver Spring, and I saw a man with a motor unicycle, and he just went straight past me, like (laughs) so fast I knew that if he messed up in one thing, he would have fallen off of that thing, and, and it would have been a lot of damage. But it was intense. He had complete control even though he was riding on that motor unicycle. And that just blew my mind. I, I, I felt like, wow, he was able to concentrate, to focus, to balance himself enough that he could depend on that one wheel. And as we talk about our subject of shameless persistence today, I want us to realize that our dependence is upon one aspect And if we get this one thing and learn to depend on God in this one area, then friends, our lives will be filled with so much power that God will be able to do a great work through us, even in these times, even in situations with COVID or situations where family members may have diseases, where diseases are rampant, accidents are taking place, people are being hurt, their lives are being impacted, that we can be a great blessing If our dependence will be upon the one thing that we will focus on in this message, we'll look at different aspects, but we will come and hone in upon one subject, the reception of which can change not only our lives, but the lives of thousands of millions in our world today. And so if you have your Bibles with me, go to the book of Luke chapter 11, and we're going to start off at verse 1. Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. And it says there in Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, speaking of Jesus, it says, And it came to pass 
that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. Now, the reason that this is so powerful is that it is revealing that the disciples wanted to learn how to pray because of two things. One is mentioned in the verse and the other is hidden, but we're going to uncover it here today. It's in the Gospels, but we're going to look at it via a certain statement. One is they asked him to learn how to pray because they saw that John... John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. And so they wanted to learn how to pray as well. But the second reason is what we're going to look at here in this statement. Now, it's all it's scattered all throughout the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But we're going to synthesize it in one statement. And this is found in the statement found in Tots on the Mount of Blessing. And before we get there, I want us to see three things that we're going to cover before we look at that statement. The three things we're going to cover in this message today is the three aspects of prayer. One is the skeleton of prayer. The other is the mindset of prayer. And then thirdly, the focus of prayer. So one, the skeleton of prayer, which we're going to look at in a moment, the mindset that is to be behind prayer and then lastly, the focus of prayer. These three things, if we get these three things, friends, our lives will be filled with such power that God can use us to impact the lives of many within our sphere of influence and beyond that. So the first major statement we're going to look at in light of what the disciples asked Jesus, they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. One, because they saw that John taught his disciples how to pray. And then two, because of this statement. Friends, as we look at this statement, it is so profound that it changed my view of prayer. It states there, the hearts of the listening disciples were deeply moved. This is as it concerns hearing Jesus pray. It says they had marked how often Jesus spent long hours in solitude in communion with his father. Notice it wasn't short moments. It was long hours because Christ knew the great dependence that he had and that was necessary to have as it concerns his relationship with his father to meet men and women in their lives and draw them to him. So they were moved by this. Of course, as we start off, it might start off with 10 minutes or or 15 minutes, and then God builds us up to that point where we can spend hours with him. Because you remember, our relationship, friends, it's not built in a monologue. Some of you know situations where you have people that you talk to, they're close to you, they're acquaintances, they're friends, they may be family members, and you're sitting and you're talking with them, and you realize whoa, I haven't said anything in this conversation. <laughs> and so as you're talking to them, you realize they are talking to you in the conversation and the conversation is more of a monologue than a dialogue. And friends, relationship, true lasting relationships are not built in a monologue. It is built in a dialogue, friends. And this is what Jesus was able to do with his father. 
Jesus is teaching us the lesson that as we spend time in the word, it is God speaking to us. But as we spend time in prayer, it is us speaking to God. And so therefore, he's speaking to us through his word, and we are speaking to him in prayer, sharing our hearts with him. Not because he doesn't know, but it is a lesson for us to know that we can bring anything to our Father, and that he is not overwhelmed by it. And so this dialogue daily took place between Jesus and his Father, and in this case, it's Jesus speaking to the Father concerning his life and the power that he needs. Now look at what this statement continues saying. It continues by saying, It was from our spent with God that he came forth morning by morning to bring the light of heaven to men. Now, here's the last statement, and this is powerful. It says the disciples had come to connect his hours of prayer with the power of his words and works. They They had come to connect his hours of prayer with the power of his words and works. Friends, this is powerful because what is being revealed to us here is that as you've heard this statement many times, more prayer, more power. More prayer, more power. And this was evident in Jesus' life. This was the second reason that the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. Not just because they saw that John had taught his disciples, but they saw the power in his own life as a result of communion with his father. Friends, may we spend time with God that we might receive the power of God to live out the very life of God in our very own lives, the life of Jesus, exemplified in his people because they have spent time with him just as he showed us the example of him spending time with his father. This is so powerful and so crucial. So as I saw this statement, it blew my mind. I was like, wow, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for this lesson. Now, in light of that, the story continues. Jesus says, all right, I'll teach you how to pray. It says in verse 2, and he said unto them, when you pray, say this, our Father, which art in heaven. So let's stop there. Powerful, because The first aspect of the prayer, and this is the skeleton of prayer that we're looking at now. Jesus tells us we can add things to this, but this is the foundation that he's laying here. And he starts off in the context of a relationship with God. And so the first part of the Lord's prayer is our Father, which art in heaven, a relationship with God. Secondly, hallowed be thy name. That is the holiness of God. So the first part is the relationship with God. God is the epitome of that which a father is. Some of you looking on here today, you may not have had a good representation of God in your family or in your father. And you may be thinking, wow, God is a father. And it seems the term seems repugnant to you because you've never had a truly good example of what a father truly is. And I want to tell you today, friends, that even though you may not have had that good example, you may have had the exact antithesis of a good example, the exact opposite 
to the point that you experienced cruelty. You experienced fear whenever you thought about your father. But I want to tell you today that God is not like that. God is a father that you can trust. He is a father that loves you. He is a father that allowed Jesus to come to this world to die on your behalf and mine that we might be saved, that the Son of God might become the Son of Man, that the sons of men might become sons of God. God did all of this that we might enter into a relationship with him because he loves us that much. And so God is the epitome of what truly constitutes a loving father. And he wants us to enter into that relationship with him today. So the first part of the Lord's Prayer tells us that God is our father. In other words, relationship with God. Secondly, hallowed be thy name. That is the holiness of God. Then it says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. That is now the very will of God being exemplified in our lives. Then it says, give us this day our daily bread. That is the provision of God. Then number four, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. That is now the forgiveness of God. And lastly, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is the power of God. So there's all these different aspects in the Lord's Prayer, and we will realize by the time we come to the end of this message that all of these things can be experienced. Relationship with God, the provision of God, the will of God, His holiness, His power, His forgiveness can be experienced in the reception of one gift. This is where we're going to come to the focus of prayer later on. But Jesus gives them the skeleton. He lays the foundation of prayer for them. And he tells them when you pray, these are the things that you can delineate in your prayer as you bring, as you come before the Father. And so this is powerful. The skeleton of prayer is laid. But now we want to look at the mindset in which we must pray. What is the mindset that must be behind prayer so that our prayer life is effective? Not because prayer changes things necessarily, but because there is a God behind that prayer who is listening and who desires to work for our good. So what is the mindset now? It says in verse 5, Jesus now gives a story to give an example of what he means. It says in verse 5, And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend? And go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. Now in the Bible, midnight is a symbol of crisis. As we look at the story of the ten virgins in Matthew chapter 25, it actually mentions that there were 10 wise versions or five wise versions and five foolish versions. The reason that this story was so powerful is because you remember all of them fell asleep at a certain point in the story. But when the cry went out at midnight that the bridegroom was coming, friends, all of them awoke, some ready, some not ready. 
Now, it's amazing because what we're realizing then is that at midnight, they realized they were in a crisis. Five of them did, the five foolish virgins. And they went to the five wise to ask, hey, can you give us some help here? But you see, the oil that they were asking for, that they had run out of, the five foolish virgins had run out of, it was a symbol in the Bible of the Holy Spirit. Oil is a symbol of the Spirit of God. And so what happened is the work that the Holy Spirit should have been able to do in their lives in producing a character ready to meet the bridegroom, friends, they didn't have enough of that experience and enough of the Spirit's power. However, the other five wise versions, they had the Spirit's power and they had an experience that prepared them to meet the bridegroom when he came. And so hence, when they went and they asked the five wise virgins for some of their oil, the five foolish virgins could not receive of the oil of the five wise virgins. Why? Friends, not because the five wise virgins didn't want to give them, but they told them, we can do this because we won't have enough for ourselves. The idea being communicated in the story is that character cannot be transferred. The experience that they had had with the Holy Spirit and the character that the Holy Spirit produced in their lives before the bridegroom showed up could not be transferred. Each and every one of us must obtain our own experience with Jesus. The result will be that we will be ready to meet Christ when he comes. But the realization of this came when? It came at midnight. So in other words, midnight at certain points in scripture is a, is a symbol of crisis. And so we'll see what the crisis is. The man asked for three loaves of his friend. Why? It tells us in Luke chapter 11 and verse 6, For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. So it was a realization of his own lack that led him to go to his friend in order to ask for help. And friends, the reason that this is so amazing is because now he's in a situation of a crisis. The crisis is he doesn't have the bread that is necessary to feed his friend. So he goes to another friend to ask for three loaves. The powerful point that we can take out of this, the first major point that we can take out of this is this. God desires to him, for us to come to him in light of our great lack. You see, God compares us in the book of Revelation chapter 3 to the church of Laodicea, a church that thinks it's rich and increased with goods, not realizing that it is lacking godliness. It is lacking spiritual power. And so God tells them their true condition to help them realize their great need. And friends, I want to propose to you, many of us may think that, whoa, so if I have a great need, then I can't really come to God. But friends, our great need is our greatest qualification to come to God and to ask him for help. Jesus said to them that come to me, anyone who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. We can be sure that if we come to God as we are, he will receive us as we are 
and then take us to where we need to be. God is that good, and he is loving. He is a loving father. The story continues. It says in verse 7, And he from within, that's the guy who is asking for the three loaves, shall answer and say, Trouble me not. Remember that word, trouble. It says, The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, Though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, so not for friendship's sake, yet because of his importunity, remember that word, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now, what does that word importunity actually mean? I was looking this thing up in the Bible, and uh, I give you a a resource that you could check out. It's called blueletterbible.com or .org, I believe it is. And I found this meaning. Friends, this is powerful. The original meaning of that word importunity actually means this. All right. The word means shamelessness or impudence. Shamelessness or impudence or an importunate man persisting in his entreaties. That means he won't give up until he gets that which he is asking for. So literally, you can put it this way. The guy said to his friend, friend, I know that you're sleeping, but I'm not going to leave until I get the bread that I'm asking for. Friends, that man stayed there to such a point that the friend got up out of his bed, not only made three loaves. This is what the Bible actually tells us. Verse 8, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. In other words, he will give him so much so that he won't come back. But friends, this was because of his shameless persistence. This is what God is calling us to have in our prayer life. And we'll see it as we continue reading. This man had an impudence that caused his friend to give him what he needed. Now, the word impudence actually means it means a persistence on the level of disrespect. (laughs) That's how intense it is. So intense was this man. He said, I'm not leaving until I get the three loads, my friend. Now, friends, this is the kind of attitude that God wants us to have with him devoid of the disrespect. God wants us to come to him with the utmost respect, but at the same time, the utmost boldness. The Bible actually tells us to come before the throne of grace boldly in time of need. And so Jesus tells us this in verse 9. Look at what it says in verse 9. So we've, we've looked at the skeleton of prayer. We've looked at the spirit behind prayer, which is a spirit of persistence, shameless persistence, coming to God and petitioning him until we get that which we have asked for. But notice what it says here. It says, and I say unto you, this is Luke 11 and verse 9, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asks receives, 
And he that seeks finds. And to him that knocks, it shall be opened. Now, you know what the powerful thing is about this? I'm going to read this over again, but now in its original translation. And I'm going to read it to you, and here's the difference. This is what the text is really saying. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that keeps on asking receives and he that keeps on seeking shall find and to him that keeps on knocking the door shall be opened this is what the text actually is saying so you see the same persistence with which that man asked his friend for the three loaves is the same persistence jesus is saying that we must have in prayer Many times we come to God and we ask him for something that we know is in accordance with his will, but we ask once and then we go away. God is asking us to ask him continually, to place it before him with an earnestness and an anticipation, to come before him with shameless persistence. Some Bibles actually translate it with shameless audacity. It is a boldness. That says, God, I am not leaving here until I get that which I have asked for. Friends, this is the same spirit, by the way, that or the same mindset that Jacob had when he wrestled with the angel. The Lord Jesus himself, as he wrestled with the angel, he finally told the angel, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. Until you bless me. Friends, this must be our cry as we come now to the focus of our prayer life, there's a specific thing that we must pray to God for in this manner, this shameless, shameless persistence. What is it? Jesus says it. Verse 11, if a son shall ask bread of any of you, that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that persistently ask him? Friends, this is what God wants us to see. That we must come with shameless persistence, continually bombarding the throne of grace for the Holy Spirit. Not because God is not willing to give it. You see, God is opposite to the man who made the bread for his friend. The man made the bread for his friend because he wanted to get rid of him. God wants to give us the Holy Spirit with a heart filled with the utmost love and compassion for us. But he says, I want you to trouble me on this matter, not because I'm not willing to give it to you, but because the more we are in earnest for the gift, the more we are changed. Our minds and hearts are changed as we come in earnest before God concerning the things that are within his will for us and also especially concerning the focus of prayer, which is the reception of the Holy Spirit. We have looked at the skeleton of prayer, the Lord's Prayer. 
the different aspects within that prayer that God wants us, wants to give us. We've looked at the mindset behind prayer, shameless persistence. And now we've looked at the focus of prayer, the Holy Spirit. And friends, the reason that that's the focus is because in the reception of the Holy Spirit, every other thing comes in its train. All of each aspect of the Lord's prayer comes. The forgiveness of God the relationship with God, the power of God, the very will of God, his provision comes with the reception of the Holy Ghost. And so this is why God wants us to focus on this in our prayer life, to continually trouble the throne for the Holy Spirit. Now, are, is the, are, are these my words? Check this out, friends. This is our last major statement that we're going to look at. And this is found... In Fundamentals of Christian Education, page 537. Are you ready for this statement? This statement is so bold, but it is so powerful. It states here, we are not willing enough to trouble the Lord. To trouble the Lord with our petitions. And to ask him for the gift of the Holy Spirit. It continues, the Lord wants us to trouble him in this matter. The Lord wants us to do what? He wants us to trouble him in this matter, friends. It continues, he wants us to press, that is, this, that is the shameless persistence, our petitions to the throne. So this is powerful. God is saying, how is it that you've only asked me once? How is it? that you've only come to me on this matter a few times. Bombard the throne, trouble me on this matter persistently that you might receive this awesome gift, the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, because with him comes the reception of all power. I have people in different places as I go to preach in different places. People ask me, they say, Akeem, how is it that brother, we look back in the apostolic times and we see so much power. The Holy Spirit working through the believers with so much power. How come we don't see that today? And friends, I tell you it's happening in different countries. But many people are asking, how come it's not happening here? How come it's not happening in this society? And friends, I say to you, it is because we have not troubled God for the reception of the power that makes all things possible, the Holy Spirit. If we would come to God continually asking for this, friends, making it our life goal, to continually be baptized with the Holy Spirit each and every day, I tell you the truth. We will see a power unleashed in this generation that will lead to the gospel being proclaimed everywhere in this entire world. I want to read to you a story as we end that brings this out even more. And it's a story of a man by the name of Alexander Fleming. Some of you may have heard of him before, a powerful figure in history. But I want to read this to you all 
It's a very powerful story. It says, and it's concerning, it connects powerfully with what we're talking about here today. It says, for 19 years, Alexander Fleming, a middle-aged Scotsman, had been looking for a magic bullet that would kill disease or germs. In the fall of 1928, his laboratory shelves were lined with petri dishes. Each contained agar, on which colonies of various germs flourished. Each colony had its own distinctive shape and color. He examined the dishes now, occasionally removing a cover so that he could look more closely at the colonies. And this is what he would exclaim, mold again, Dr. Fleming complained. As soon as you uncover a dish, something is bound to fall in. In other words, it gets contaminated. He stopped talking and looked more closely at the dish. This is odd. He, he spoke to his assistant, Merlin Price. Please hand me a scalpel. Price obeyed. Uh, the order or the older doctor picked up a piece of the blue-green mold and studied it. Something was happening that was odd. And he said, look here, he mentioned to Price. The colonies of germs close to the mold have lost their color. There's a clear ring around each patch of mold. So this was odd. What was happening here? We're going to find out. Did the mold kill the germ colonies? And then Fleming nodded. Looks like it. I'll grow more of this stuff and see what happens. His hunch was right. Out of that mold, Fleming was able to extract a yellow substance that became known as penicillin, the wonder drug of the 20th century. I've wondered a lot about what happened that September day at St. Mary's Hospital in London. Why was Alexander Fleming the lucky one to discover penicillin? And I tell you the truth, friends, this was no luck. <laughs> Mold spores had been in the air for thousands of years. Solomon was a wise man and a great naturalist. Why didn't he come up with the magic medicine? Luke was a physician who must have seen his share of mold. Why didn't he discover the wonder drug? The answer is none of these were looking for it. Alexander Fleming, get this, had made one goal for his life to find the magic bullet because he sought, he found. What wonderful things might yet be discovered if someone would only look for them and look, friends, with the utmost persistence. Close your eyes and dream a daring dream of something you would like to find for the good of humanity. Then start looking. Only those who seek will find. Friends, my desire for us today is that we would take time to seek this one gift, to make it our life goal, to seek out and to continue seeking, to knock and to continue knocking 
to ask and to continue asking for the Holy Spirit until we receive him and to continue to receive fresh baptisms of him each and every day. What God wants to do in our lives is that as we continue to trouble him on this matter, he will give us the Holy Spirit. But it is for our, it is our work to continually ask that as we continue to ask, our mindset might be more in earnest to receive this gift. Friends, I pray that that is your desire today as we close in prayer. May we, may we make this our one life goal, our consistent life goal for the good of humanity. For this is the greatest good. As we receive the Holy Spirit, we will be empowered to bring the good tidings to men and women all over the world so that they might receive salvation, the greatest good for humanity. If you desire for this, this is your desire in your heart, then I ask you to bow your heads with me as we pray. Father in heaven, I pray, O oh Lord, that this will be our one life goal utter dependence upon the power that you desire to give us. That, Lord, that this might be the one wheel upon which we ride. The power of the Holy Ghost working through the human agent that men and women might come to a knowledge of salvation. And not only just to a knowledge, but that that knowledge might be so powerful, so convicting, that it might lead to the conversion of souls, thousands, millions, as a result of us doing what we can in our sphere. May we pray for it. May we ask for it. Seek for the reception of the third person of the Godhead and continue to knock the doors of heaven until we receive this gift. And know that as we rise up from praying for it, that we have the Holy Spirit that the third person of the Godhead is working in our lives. May this be our prayer constantly, repeatedly, continually, with shameless persistence. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Please look us up online at the1-80.org and at the 180 YouTube channel. Please reach out to us with any questions or prayer requests. Until next time, Thanks for listening.